paper if you hope you got one handed out to you. We've touched a little bit on these things because we've covered some of these passages in our Sunday morning series, but I want to focus in on an important part. Tonight, let me ask you, I know we don't have microphones for this part, what would, you, what would it look like, what does somebody look like when they're serious, really serious about something? Describe that to me. And it doesn't matter, you can think of anything that someone might be serious of. If they're serious about their education, they're serious about sports, they're serious about dating, they're serious about making money. What, what are the common things of people who are really serious about something? Yes. Highly focused, that is excellent. Highly focused, so they're not distracted by a bunch of other peripheral things. They, they got the one thing in mind, single-minded. That's all they talk about. So if you're serious about it, you're gonna, no one's going to have to push you to talk about it because it's on your minds, on your lips, right? You're going to voice it. Chris? Spend a lot of time on it. Matt, were you going to say the same? Yeah, spend a lot of time on it. Yes, Fander? Oh, they're committed. They're committed to doing whatever it takes to focus on that. Yes? They practice. Tell me more. Okay, so if it's a sport, you're going to practice, you're going to improve, you're going to get better, you're going to work at it. Gabrielle? They have a goal. They have a goal. They have a goal. There's, there, it's going somewhere, right? It's not just an event. It's a, you got a big goal for where this is headed. What else? Jane? They're going to learn as much as possible about that thing. They're going to learn as much as possible. They're going to keep gaining information and let that information continue to push them. So let me ask you this. How serious, based on that, are you about being like Jesus? Would any of those descriptions... Tonight, would any of them describe how you see the importance of being like Jesus? Are you always learning about how you can be more? Do you, do you practice it? Do you practice being like him? In fact, that word's going to be in our text tonight. Do you practice it? Are you, do you always talk about it? Does it consume, I would say, does it consume your time? Does it consume your money? Is being like Jesus always on your mind, pushing yourself? Do any of those or all of those or none of those describe what you're really about? Because I think all of us know. You go to a football game. What's the difference between a serious fan and a non-serious fan? Yes, thank you. What is it? Paint. Take your shirt off, guys, and paint all the way. And the crazy this and the wild hair and... Maybe the uniforms, and you're serious about it. If you're really, really serious about it, do you get a nosebleed ticket or a 50-yard line ticket? <laughs> Maybe you would like to be serious enough to get the other kind, but you can't. But, but you know what I mean. So you, you've seen, what do we call people? What kind of fan are they when they're crazy? Yeah. What about Jesus freaks? Would anyone ever call you a Jesus fanatic? Would you be so so interested in pursuing him and being like him that that's what someone might call you. There are two ways 
I put on your sheet. And tonight at first, you might think these two are not the same. Number one and number two, how do you measure Christ's likeness? So, how, you know, so here I, I posed the question, you gave me characteristics, but how would I know for sure? We're, we're going to find out in this text. We're going to see, we're going to measure it by a phrase tonight that's used five times in 1 John, and they are so powerful and so specific, there isn't really a lot of wiggle room when I give you my thesis. The first one, we all would probably agree with. What if the reality of your commitment to Jesus is demonstrated by the reality of your conformity to Jesus? So how much you're like him would indicate how much you're committed to him. What if that's really true? Would we be honest to say biblically that if you're hardly committed or hardly conformed to him at all, that most people wouldn't be able to tell that you're like him? Would that be a pretty good indication that you're probably not very committed to him? I think it's obvious. But what if the second one's true? And I want to show you from 1 John tonight that they both are. What if... The reality of your conversion to Jesus is demonstrated by your conformity to him. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? Well, I put a little line on your paper. My goal tonight is to strengthen your assurance based on what the Bible says you should base it on. And secondly, I want to explode a myth. And the myth is recorded on your paper Believing in Jesus is essential, but behaving like Jesus is optional. It is a lie. It's a lie. And I want to show you from Scripture how important it is that you understand just how much of a lie it really is. In 1 John, it's going to teach us this. If you have been transformed by Jesus, and by that I mean this, you are truly saved. If you've been transformed by Jesus, you will also be conformed to Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you to quote a verse from heart. Don't flip through your Bible because I'm sure most Christians who have been saved for a long time know this verse by heart or some semblance of closeness to it, right? So someone give me your best rendition of Romans 8.28. Just raise your hand and belch it and blurt it out. Come on, give me Tim, real loud, please. Good. For all things work together, and all those things, believe it or not, are not just all the things that go bad. And you, you know, those are all the things he's talking about, every aspect of your salvation. All things work together for good. For who? For everyone? No. And he doesn't even say for your saved. He, he, he couches salvation and describes it differently. For those who love God. That's what would be in our text tonight. Pastor... Lawrence on Sunday morning is going to preach that message. For those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. But do you know Romans 8, 29? Mike. Say it again. Bigger, louder and slower. Yes. Yes. So listen to this. This is the salvation package. Ready? For those he foreknew before eternity began, right? He predestined them. And what is it we're predestined to if you're truly his people? To be conformed to his image. Do you see what he's saying? 
that being conformed to Jesus and being like him is what salvation is about. It is not. It, it, the result of salvation is that you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. But it is not the main purpose. Not according to Romans 8. Romans 8 says the main purpose is you get saved so that you can progressively move through your life being like Jesus and ultimately at the end you will be completely like him as much as any human being who's glorified can possibly be. That is the goal of your salvation and Gabrielle said it, which I was hoping someone would say that. But see, your salvation's going somewhere. Yes, not to hell, to heaven, of course. But that's more important than even that can be, although that's pretty important, is that you will become completely like Jesus. It is part of the package. So our, our idea is if you've been transformed, you will be conformed. It's not you might be. You will be. Now, obviously, to some differing degrees with differing people, we grow at different rates and all kinds of things. But there is no such thing as behaving like Jesus is optional. It is part of what being saved is and what it does through your life and to your life. It is part of it. Because as one author said, eternal life starts now. So John knew all about this. The Gospel John, the writer of 1 John, the disciple of Jesus... And he heard a lot of these teachings from Jesus himself. And he came to the conclusion, if you read his gospel in 1 John, being loved by Jesus means that you will have love for Jesus. Because what does Romans 8.28 says? For those who love God. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8? There is laid up for me the crown which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But not to me only. But to all those also who what? Love his appearing. Ah, see, it's about your love. Those who are called, that those who love God, those who love his appearing. Do you see how important that is? It's part of the package. If, we, if God loves us and we love God, then we will love others and love Jesus back. If you have been transformed, I've said, by Jesus, you will also be conformed to Jesus. First John has a way of putting it that nobody else does. And I titled the lesson tonight, As He Is. So let me give the five to you. They're on your paper. We're going to take a brief look. So we have four minutes to do each one. All right? And let me give you chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light, our phrase... As he is in the light. That's the first one. Chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now he's going to show you what that means. Because we shall see him as he is. Next verse, the third one. And everyone, everyone, everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself. What's the standard? As he is pure. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. And what's the standard of that? As he is righteous. Why do we need all those? Why do we need to be pushed about how important it is to be like Jesus? Very important, which all of us would want. 
Chapter 4, verse 17, the last one. By this, indicator light, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. If you want to stand before God and know and have assurance that you know him and he's pleased with you and that heaven is your home, however you want to say it, here's what you need to have. He says, because as he is, so are we in this world. So let's take them and unpack them one at a time. You know chapter 1 and verse 7 very well. Everybody can practically quote it, I would guess. But notice this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So here's the first thing. I'm going to give you an outline if you want to put them in there. Being like Jesus, there is a pattern to it. A pattern to it. And by that I get the word walk from. Maybe a path might be a better word. There's a path to it. There's a road. So in other words, it's a lifestyle. What does it mean? You walk in the light. What does that mean? It means you walk, you live, you have a lifestyle like he did, like he's in the light. So we'd have to know, wouldn't we? If we're to walk in the light, wouldn't you have to know what it means for him to walk in the light? Light in this term in 1 John is moral light and it's also truth light. So it's either it's truth, it's rightness, it's doctrinal, but it's also moral. And Jesus was both of them. He always spoke the truth and he always lived the truth. And so you look at your life and you measure it. And here's what to say, because this chapter one is loaded with the conditional if phrases. If we say, if we confess, if we see all those things. And he's saying that this is how you can know that if you're in the light, you will walk like he walked. Now, it does not say that you will believe like he, but he does that later. But here's what it says. The measure is your lifestyle, not something you've said in the past, not something you assented to intellectually, not a belief package that you tied yourself to, although all those are important. What he wants you to know and look at is this. You want to have assurance? Does your walk match his? Now, he's not done with that. He's going to make it strong. He's going to, I would say, he's going to punch us with a a little bit because in chapter 2, verse 6, he says it so even more clearly. Whoever says, see the phrase going back again? If you say, if you say, now he's going to say, the one who says, he abides in him. So if you, God's in you, he's in you, he's remaining in you, he really lives in you, he's going to live in you, then he's going to live it out. See, now watch the obligation, the three oughts of 1 John. Here is one of them. First one, whoever says he abides in him ought, obligatory, ought to walk, watch, in the same way in which he walked. So here's the simple truth. If you're in the light, as God's in the light, and you know his light, and you, you have his light in you, and you have his life in you, you will walk like he walked. Now, there are no examples of exactly what that means in this text, but we have four Gospels to give you an idea, and that is plenty. So you have to ask the question tonight. Blessed assurance comes from looking at my life and seeing, you know how the salvation that God has worked in, the life of Jesus and the light of Jesus in me, does it express itself in the way that I walk? Do I walk like him? Do I do the things? Do am I interested in those things? Do I 
love the things he loves? Do I do all the things that he's interested in? That's what the Bible is trying to teach us in here. And this, that, so we all need to walk as he walked. Secondly, 1 John 3. Let me put two things together as my main aspect of this. Beloved, 1 3, John 3, 2. Beloved, we, now watch. This is a contrast in a couple ways, and you need to pick it up. It's about what happens in the present and what happens in the future. It's, he wants to tie in this. What we are in Christ and what we shall be. Now, we love to think of them, but we, also th- we usually think of them distinct from one another. John says, stop that, put them together and connect them because you need to. Here's what he says. Beloved, we are, we are God's children, underline it, now. Not when we die and go to heaven. We are his children now, and he is our father. So if he has born us spiritually, we will be like his son. We are God's children now, and what we will be, future, has not yet appeared. We don't know what all of it means when he appears again and takes us and makes us completely like him. We don't know all of what that means yet, but we know it's going to happen. He says, but when he does appear, here's what we do know. We shall be homoios. Believe it or not, similar root, homosexual, meaning they, two people of the same gender love each other, or whatever you want to call that. But here it is, same. In other words, you're going to have the same likeness that he has. That's the goal. That's the end of it. When you get to heaven, heaven and all the things are great, but the whole point of it is, is you will be like Jesus in every way possible a regenerated sinner could ever be. That's what your eternal destiny is. So here's what he says. That's what our future will be, completely like that. And how will that happen? Because we will see him as he is. Now that's an oxymoron in this sense because the Bible is replete with instances, even in 1 John, that no one has ever seen God. Moses says, God said to Moses, you can't see my face and live. Oh, but it changes when the glorification of God works in you. For the first time in your life, you will see Jesus. You will see him for who he really is and all that he really is. And you will see it. You won't become divine, but 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you will be given the divine nature. You won't be able to sin anymore. You will do what is right. You will have a desire. You will have all of those things built into you because you will see him as he is. That's the future. That's what we're headed for. Now watch. Important point. Verse 3 brings us back down to reality because future conformity is tied to present conformity. I would tell you this. If you are not like Jesus in this world you will not be like him in the next. Because John says this, thus the universal pronoun, he says, verse 3, and everyone who has this hope, what hope? That you will be glorified someday, you will see Jesus, and he will transform 
you to be like him completely. If you have that hope that when you die, that's the final thing for you, that's what you're going to become, what will it do to you now? Well, he puts the as he is right next to the other one and says, you know what it'll do to you? He says this, if you have that hope in him, you will purify himself as he is pure. You will be completely holy someday, so until you get there, you will be becoming more and more holy like him now. But see, people want to say this, well, I'm not really holy now, and I don't really care about being like Jesus, and I don't, want to have, I don't really have his desires. I don't even read the Bible or pray. I don't have really anything to go on. None of that going on in my life. But they expect when they die to say, oh, yeah, I didn't have any of that here, but I'll have it all there. And John says, no, that's not how it works. If you have it here, there, you're going to have it there. You will have it here. Purify is a part. It keeps going. It's a continued tense. Your life will be pure. Not perfect. It is not a perfect likeness now. It is a patterned likeness. It's not that the Christians couldn't do the worst of things. They can do the worst of things. But how they respond to it and how they struggle with it and what the pattern of this life is, this is what they're always doing, even when they fall into sin. A just man, Proverbs says, falls seven times in a day and rises up again. It's not that we don't struggle and have problems. And... Lots of them at times. But what the pattern of our life is, is that we will be purifying ourselves as he is pure because that's who lives inside of us. Even more so, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Okay, Don't believe the fact that you can go to heaven because you believe the right things, but those beliefs never change you. Don't believe it. Right? He says this, don't deceive yourselves. Whoever practices righteousness, whatever who does righteousness, who does what Jesus did, who live righteous as he did, that means you're righteous. But watch, as he is righteous. There it is. So one of the things that happens when you get saved And when you come to know God is you will someday have his complete likeness in the future. But now you will have a present conformity. You will be coming more and more like him. And that right like him part is about purity. It's about righteousness. It's about living the way that God says in his words. And you can all you do if you want to is read the Sermon on the Mount to know what that righteousness will look like in just about every area of your life. Lastly, if you would, chapter 4 and verse 17. John tells us, why would I tell you all of this? Why would I push you so hard to understand that likeness to Jesus isn't optional? It's not just something that you do or you don't do or you may be this or that. No, religious people think it's optional, but Christians wouldn't. They would, to varying degrees, we, we live that out in our lives. Why is it so important? Because there is a day of judgment coming. And he says, by this, which we already told you, the indicator light, translate it this way. This is the way, or this is how, love is perfected with us. And it means completed. And usually in 1 John, the perfection is meaning that God loves you, you love others. 
See, it's perfected. When God pours his love into you, you pour your love out into others. That's most of the time what that's supposed to mean. So he says, this is how you can know that love is perfected in you. So that, here's the purpose, that you may have confidence in the day of judgment. 1 John 2, 28 and 29. Confidence when you appear before him someday. So when you stand before Jesus someday... He wants you to say this. He wants you to have assurance that you don't have to stand there. And chapter 4, my sermon, a week from Sunday, is going to be about standing before God. And he says, I want you to have this kind of confidence. I want you to have confidence. How can you have it? You can have it this way. Because as he is, because you're in him, you have your position, you have his righteousness, you have his purity. And all of that has been given to you by grace as the Holy Spirit through the word of God works in you, he says. You can have as much confidence when you stand before the throne as Jesus himself, God's son. Now, is that incredible? To me, that's incredible that you could have as much confidence that God has accepted you and that you truly know him and he's changed your life. You could have it just as much as Jesus because it's his righteousness and his purity that he has given to you by his grace. And he says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Notice what it does not say. Because as he is, so we should be in this world. He doesn't say that. We're going to be in this world. No, we are in this world. Are. We are like him in this world. When we stand before God, we are like him in this world, and we should live it out by his grace. See, that's what he wants. So let me ask all of us tonight, am I at all like Jesus? Am I? I didn't ask you if you know all the things about Jesus. Have you read the Gospels? Do you know? We all have done these things. But are we like him? Is it what you live for? It's what you were saved for. But is it what you live for? So if I went around tonight, and before we close, if I went around and said, hey, tell me, what you're doing, and what you would tell someone else to do to really say that your life is all about being like Jesus, what would you say? Would there be a purpose? Do you have intention? Do you have plans? Do you practice it? Are you serious about it? Are you committed to it? Does it make you get on your knees and repent when you don't? Do you think about it? Did you think about it at all today? Wouldn't it be crazy, though? Wouldn't it be crazy that if the most important thing that we could ever do in our lives never grabs or hardly ever grabs our attention, hardly ever? Someday we'll recognize that this is what we exist for. We exist for being more like Jesus. I don't have time tonight to tell you, of course, but the Apostle Paul is the par excellence example of someone whose life mirrors Jesus. And so in our small group, we took two columns of paper and I went through the book of Acts and all the things that Paul said, I must, I must, I must, I must. He had a mission of must and he lived it out everything, every door, everything he went through. And he knew what the patterns were. He knew 
how the cross fit into it all. And he knew how to make choices based on living in that story. And, and where did he get it? Well, you read Luke. And from the very beginning of Jesus' life at the age of 12, I must be about my father's business. I must go through Samaria. I must stop at your house, Zacchaeus. On and on it goes. Jesus had a mission. Why did he go through there? Why did he stop here? Why did he do this? What made him determine the direction of his life, the priorities had, who he would eat with, who he wouldn't, what he did, what was mattered? You know what it all was? His mission of must. And I want our couples to do that in their marriages. I want them to know what it means to live in the story of Jesus because you can only be like him when you're living in the story that he lived. And tonight you might say, Pastor Walker, wow, I don't know that I have that. I'm not sure that I even do that very much. Well, what if those two statements at the beginning are true? What if your commitment to him is demonstrated by your conformity to him? Don't let this discourage you tonight and say, wow, I don't think I'm... No, let it move you. You know what Paul said? The love of Christ compels me. It constrains me. It moves me. What if you're the reality of your conversion, the reality of it, is demonstrated by your conformity to him, that he really is in you, he lives in you, abides in you, then you ought to walk as he walked, just as he is. Is that true for all of us? Will that be true for your children? Is it true for your teenagers? It is the most important thing. And let me say one more thing and I'll close. It is the goal of our church. We do and do not do. And we go this direction. And we do this event. And we don't do other events. And we spend money and we don't spend money on things. And it's not about what Pastor Walker likes or what I'm good at. Or anybody else in leadership. You know what we do? It's to be a church that's conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our goal. You know why we started small groups? You know why we do D groups? Not because we needed another ministry or another program. It is all a facilitation of how we can help people to become more like Jesus. Because here's what we believe. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we're intentionally purposeful about it and living it out. And we believe this, that to be like Jesus is a community effort. That's why there were 12 disciples and not one. That's why if you're not in a small group or a D group, by God's grace, let me tell you, your pastor would want you to, and I would say it, you should be. You should be. Because if your greatest desire is to be like Jesus, you need accountability, you need someone to push you, you need someone to hear you and help you and keep you accountable when you're not like Jesus. We all need that. And you cannot get all that you need to be like Jesus in sitting in a large corporate set when you're not talking Anyone here never talks to anyone over here? Or we need a small group or a D group who's going to be in our lives and push us. If you got a chance to go over to Bob Gottwald's house, you see how important community really is, don't you? Because God, Bob couldn't have left that evening without knowing that there is a bunch of people who really, really love him. And would do anything for him. And when he faces difficulty and even perhaps down the road finality of his life. He'll never have to do it alone. Because the Lord is with him and so are we. 
because we want him to be like Jesus, even in lung disease. We do. But we need that in each other. I hope that you will take that seriously. More than anything else that you might ever think about doing, it is the key thing in your life. I hope that tonight you might become more serious about it because we've talked together. Let's pray. Father,